Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Kiranor, New Colt, the 31st. <laughs> I know that because I just read it. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my review of Riverwind the Plainsman by Paul B. Thompson and Tanya R. Carter. I would like to take a moment and thank the DL Saga members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. You can even pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials using my affiliate links. Now, this is my perspective only. If you have any thoughts or disagree with mine, I invite you to share them in YouTube chat. The way these reviews typically work is I read my pre-written review and then we just riff on the other side of it based on what you guys are commenting on and the characters and Dragonlance as a whole. So let's have some fun. Uh, hey, Chris, thanks for tuning in. What up, Anthony? How you doing, man? This is yet another wonderful in-canon story beginning. We pick up with Riverwind already at his anointing of the Quester ritual. Everyone must undertake this if they desire to marry the princess of the Kuei Shu and eventually become the chieftain. The ritual is followed by another courting quest, which he must endure a psychedelic drug. <laughs> there is... Um, the. There's reference to this short story where Goldmoon's mother appeared to her and told her of the old gods, and Riverwind sees his dead father and rival, Wanderer, and Hollow Sky respectfully. Hollow Sky mocks him, and Wanderer tells him the old gods are real and to stand up and fight, though Riverwind believes he is dying. Now, I have done a number of psychedelics in my day, in a number of different forms, and I have never once thought I was dying, though many of my friends had at different times. But that being said, I still believe that this is a trope from those who want the experience to be dangerous and used as propaganda against substances in general. They are quite, in fact, very helpful for a number of conditions, boredom being the least important of them. Anyway, Sir Riverwind comes to and realizes he said everything aloud, and the tribal elders want him to be expelled for heresy as the Kuei Shu turned to ancestor worship after the Cataclysm. Then it's revealed only one of the elders tricked Riverwind, so ultimately he was sent on his quest to prove the old gods are real anyway, or come back and renounce his beliefs. He refuses to renounce them and leaves. On his way out, he's met by a hermit seer named Catchflea. Now this is a derogatory nickname given to him by... Uh, the other tribesmen, but he took ownership of it. He prophesied what is to come and joins Riverwind. As they begin climbing the East Wall, or Forbidden Mountains, they come across wolves of a kind. Riverwind is hunting a sheep, and this pack takes the wounded animal. The pack leader, Kaenor, can speak and has fingers for paws. <laughs> a truly upsetting image, not unlike some ancient Wendigo or shapeshifter or indigenous people mythology. The creature hurts, I'm um, sorry, hunts Riverwind, who bluffs his way out of the situation. Then the next day, they continue traveling, and they're set upon by a thief in the night. Chasing the thief leads them to a cavern they fall into, like Alice in Wonderland, floating to the bottom, where they come across the Hest Elves. This clan is an offshoot of the Sylvanesty that went underground as outlaws in the Kinslayer Wars and have stayed there. They're not unlike the underground elves in the Galen Benighted novel, mining gems and such, but with a different name in history. They're led to the ruler Lee El, first light of Hest, in the capital city of Vartum, where they are placed under arrest until their fates are decided. The elf who stole from them is interrogated. The Hest elves are even more class-based than the Sylvanesty, if you can believe it, with the lowest, the diggers, being nothing better than slaves. 
Riverwind and Catchflea are taken to a tower with a precarious bridge to enter it, which Catchflea nearly falls from. Roe Karn, the captain of the guard, is also up here on a timeout from his queen, Liel. It's clear that Liel is a tyrant, and we learn that she usurped power from the hereditary heir of Hest. The guilds went to war, and hers took over the settlement. She has been ruling with an iron fist, and even turned her son against his father, who fled after being blinded by her, and started the resistance movement Blue Sky Cult. Not Blue Oyster Cult. Totally different thing. Deanne, the thief they chased to Hest, tries to help Riverwind and Catchley escape the tower, but Riverwind is stopped by Rokarn, who takes him to Liel. Catchley is taken to the Resistance and helps them arm and battle the powers that be through the use of pepper, the spice, and bows, of which the Hestians know nothing about. Remember, they live underground. They don't have trees. And this is generations after the Kinslayer War. So Riverwind has taken control of... Um, taken control over by Liel through illusions and set upon her enemies in the guise of Goldmoon. As Riverwind cuts down the cert, um, I'm sorry, cuts down the enemies and searches for the cult, the cult strikes the military hard, taking one regiment and eventually winning the day against them all after Riverwind breaks the spell he's under. Together, they charge the tower, and rather than being captured and tried, Liel jumps from the tower to her death. Now, the leader of the cult wants to force Riverwind to be his ambassador to Savannesty and Catchfleet to be his aide in Vartum. Riverwind naturally wants to continue his quest, so he pleads with Deanne to help them escape, and she agrees. Before they leave, Catchfleet looks into the future with the acorns and discovers that one of them will die, one will go mad, and one will find victory. We all know where Riverwind ends up, so the question is, which will die which will live, and which will go mad. Escape from Vartum proves to be very difficult. Not only is climbing and navigating the maze of tunnels a problem, but they come across two significant encounters. The first is a frozen army uh, from the time when Hest originally fled Sethas. These warriors were chasing them down, and the Magi froze them in time. Riverwind broke out of their crystal shells, I'm sorry, broke one of them out of their crystal shells, and it was insistent on finishing his mission, even knowing that it was over 2,000 years later. So, the friends flee as the guard breaks the other soldiers out. This ends poorly for the guards as they give chase, their age catches up with them, and they end in dust and bones. What an odd spell and inertia effect. I really dug it. The second encounter is devouring ooze. It pulls Deanne from the floor up to the ceiling, covering her face, then drops down on Riverwind and Catchflea, smothering them. They're barely able to burn it with their lantern to get it free. I'm sorry, to get it to flee and then ultimately die. It's about this time they see a gully dwarf. They eventually learn that they're in the tunnels underneath Zaxaroth. The city is swarming with the Agar Dwarves, and they're all under the control of Draconians and a new species of lizard man called Ophidian. It was created by a human cleric named Krago. He's doing the Dark Queen's bidding to make lizard men without the required good dragon eggs. Krado is using Quicksilver, and it seems to work. The Ophidian are incredibly strong. At first, Commander Thoris, the Ophidian, seems to be in control, but he has the education of a child and wants to learn about these new interlopers. It turns out, Krado is making a female version named Lyrexis, and they will propagate the new species and take over Ancelon. 
Riverwind and his friends try to break free, and his friends get caught. He's forced to battle Thoris one-on-one, and barely survives by dragging him underwater, seemingly drowning him. We never actually know what happened to Thoris. It's never explained. We just assumed he died. There is something funny about drowning a large lizard. I would assume that they can inherently swim, but no, they definitely cannot swim. Riverwind escaped through the tunnels and eventually crashed into Kratos' study, dressed as what must be the largest goblin ever. He's, he's a seven-foot-tall barbarian. He put on a goblin helmet and like a what must have ended up being a midriff goblin chainmail shirt, and he just walked through as a goblin. This is ridiculous. Anyway, he sneaks in and Lyrexus wakes up and begins to attack everyone and everything. The friends flee with Crato as a hostage and evade um, them until they can get to the upper levels, hoping to get out before Kisanth returns. They have to climb the massive chains while the Draconians are firing crossbows at them from a distance. Catchfully is hit, but only acknowledges it as they reach the summit. They mourn Catchfully's death, but they have to press on or else they're going to join him. The Agar tell them that there's this old temple nearby and they can rest within it as the Draconians are coming up the chains as well. Inside, the Draconians attack, and Riverwind kills them before succumbing to his wounds. He's met by Mishikal, who tells him that the staff and his mission... I'm sorry, he tells him about the staff and his mission to take it to Goldmoon. Goldmoon will reveal the truth of the gods to the world. So he is restored to life, and Deanne is thrilled. They leave to the open air, and Deanne loses her mind at the open scope of a clear blue sky. The author's justification... For this is that she's only been in the upper world when it's night. But this is a ridiculous notion. Dwarves who have never left Thorbarden don't suddenly go mad when they see the sky. It's the worst excuse for a prophecy fulfilled, and it is completely 100% unbelievable. She slowly descends to madness as Kisanth returns to Zach Saroth. The black dragon terrifies the two, but will not go near the staff always wanting to take it from Riverwind. It makes him question not just consistency, I'm sorry, it makes me question not just the consistency from the novel Black Wing, which is clearly broken, but she clearly doesn't know what the artifact is, only that it's a powerful artifact. And this seems odd, as it's her job to watch over the city. She should at least know what she's watching over. And then, how does Verminard learn about it? He sends his army to look for a staff because it's a powerful artifact? But who cares? If he knew he could, it, that the artifact could bring back the gods, then that makes sense why he would go to such extremes to find it. But it's never presented that Kisanth has any clue what the Blue Crystal Staff is. At all. Which is very strange. Like, I really think she should know. Anyway, the dragon keeps coming near Riverwind, threatening him, spitting acid on him, but it never touches him. It makes Kisanth look completely feckless completely takes the threat out away from her. She returns to her draconians after Riverwind and Deanne flee the, to the swamp and enter the Fever Lake. She sends the draconians after them to retrieve the staff as no human has ever passed the lake and lived. Riverwind and Deanne hide in the lake, are, a, are bit by leeches and insects, and contract the fever sickness. Riverwind calls to Mishikal to heal him, and she refuses, saying that the struggle is as important as the message he carries. But then, out of nowhere, she relents and says that she will heal one of them, forcing Riverwind to choose. 
he obviously chooses Deanne, and she is teleported with the staff back to Hest, the dying Sylvanesty kingdom, or I'm sorry, excuse me, Hestian kingdom. They're shown that she is now a true priestess, and they must all follow her, and if they do, they can all live down there forever in health. They agree, and the staff returns to Riverwind. He is delirious and fevered, and is met by two children who claim to be actors. Their caravan fought over how to cross the Eastwall Mountains, and one by one, they went missing. Riverwind begins leading them to Solace, where he realizes that they're just illusions and are actually Kisanth and a Draconian. This is ridiculous. Why didn't they have him lead them to Zaxaroth? Because that's where they needed Riverwind to take the staff, not to Solace. Moreover, they know that they can't take it from him so because simply touching it hurts them. So what was their plan? Finding some other dupe in Solace to return it all the way across Eastwall Mountains through the swamp back to Zaxaroth? Makes no sense. I think at this point in the novel, the authors were like, look, we, we kind of wrote ourselves in a corner here when we got to wrap up this novel in like 20 pages. So, illusion? Stupid. They reveal themselves and the Draconians fight Riverwind. Uh, he's slain by the staff, the Draconian, and Cassanth just gives up and leaves as Riverwind flees to the Quaishu tribe. He was like two days away. And Cassanth is like, well, I can't catch him now, so I guess I'll just go back. <laughs> Not follow him in the air to see where he ends up and then destroys the village or murders half of them and says, deliver the staff to Zaxaroth or else the rest of you will die. Nothing effective at all. She's just like, oh, well, he killed my draconian. I guess me as a gigantic black dragon can't do anything to stop this mortal human. So I'll just go home. It is so stupid. All right. They reveal. <laughs> oh, boy. Where am I? Um, Riverwind arrives at the Kweishu camp and is met ten months after having originally left by Goldmoon, who he shares the staff with, telling her that it's an artifact and Goldmoon eventually sees it for what it is and they embrace and kiss. I am a sucker for romance, and I love the connection between Riverwind and Goldmoon. It seems rare in Dragonlance, when other heroes like Tannis are torn between two women and Karaman is torn between a woman and his twin. They just accept and embrace the power of love and its consequences. Of course, we know what happens next to them, but I like that it wasn't addressed in this novel. We end on a beautiful catharsis, and I appreciated it. I would recommend this novel to anyone who loves Dragonlance or love. <laughs> All right, so, uh, Rhiannon, thanks for tuning in. All right, so uh, Chris says, Cat Star, Catch Flea was a great character. Imagine having to pretend to be a fool your whole life. He didn't, the thing is, is he didn't pretend to be a fool. He just took the name they gave him and owned it. Like, I still think he was as brilliant as he ever was because he lived alone. So he didn't, it's not like he had to like derp, derp everywhere. I mean, he just, when people came around, he just said, yep, yeah, my name's Catch Flea. What do you want? <laughs> that was it. In Mishikal, her statement about virtue being is won by struggle, not by ease. Nothing is earned when a test is made easy to do or a problem is solved without difficulty and explains why the gods don't interfere more on Kryn. Yeah, it's also a really dickish thing to say to a dude who's dying of fever. <laughs> like, 
She gives him a staff. You are our only hope. You must take this staff to Gold Moon across the mountains. And she will come back <laughs> to where you just left, find some uh, Mormon discs, and then tell the rest of the world about us. Well, why didn't he just pick up the Mormon discs and leave with those? Like, because Goldmoon had to do it, I guess. But then if Goldmoon had to do it, why are you letting me die? <laughs> I have a fever. I'm clearly ill and delirious. Like, just take the fever away. <laughs> no, I will not. <laughs> it's too easy if I do that. Well, then pick up the staff yourself, God, and deliver it yourself. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Um, prequels shouldn't have a character go through a similar arc as the original story. Ideally, prequels should deconstruct a character so that they end up where the original story begins. I totally agree. And that's the fault of all of these prequels. They pick up where we already know the character and where the character's sensibilities already are and then say, oh, but it's X years earlier and they're going to go through all this stuff. Meanwhile, they're all meeting draconians, which are supposed to be secret. They're all seeing dragons, which aren't supposed to exist. And so when they finally do meet them in the Chronicles, they're just like, oh my gosh, these are horrible dragons. And what are these lizard creatures? I've never seen them before, except all of you have. <laughs> so did no one consider that Prelude meant before the Chronicles? <laughs> they were just like, what does prelude mean? I don't know. Let me just write about Riverwind. It's really aggravating that every author uses the exact same tropes in every one of these preludes. It's ridiculous. All right, that being said, I would have liked the last chapter even better if Goldman accepted Riverwind's story about the plain wooden staff on Faith alone. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's clearly delirious. So for... Riverwind, he could have brought a rat and been like, this is a holy artifact from the Agar Dwarves. And she would have been like, yeah, I don't know about that, son. <laughs> like, you, you gotta prove something to me about that one. Because I'm not just gonna take this. He just brought a stick. He was like, look at this stick. It is a holy artifact. <laughs> of course she's gonna question it. He's fevered and delirious. <laughs> like, he's not thinking right. He's not himself. So I bought it anyway. That's my point. Uh, let's see here. I don't know what Yanamano Yopo means. Yopo is a highly hallucinogenic drug used in the Yanamamamo. Oh, okay. Um, I have... Uh, my youthful indiscretions were primarily with uh, LSD and trips. Of course, other stuff too, but those are the two purely psychedelics ones. See, off topic, does anyone know if you're able to sign up as members again yet? You can only do that on my website. YouTube has decided to screw me. So you can only do it on my website. But I do have member readings still. And all of the member monthly benefits for the Whitestone Council level. But you have to do it through my website, dlsaga.com members. The link is in the description too. All right, let's see. What is my husband O Riverwind up to? <laughs> Fevered. He's sick and fevered, and he's about to get stoned by the time we end this novel. Um, you haven't read the preludes, but it seems that dragons and draconians showing up an awful lot <laughs> for a never-before-seen species. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely do. All right. 
Well, that is it for my review of Riverwind the Plainsman by Paul B. Thompson and Tanya R. Carter. What do you think of Cassanth? Was she a sufficient threat? How about the appearance of Draconians? Riverwind's loss of memory or Deanne's madness? You can email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. This channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga. Thank you so much for joining in that celebration. So until next time, my name is Adam for Dragonlance Saga. Slán Javar.